Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Hello everyone and welcome back to Women's Football Digest. I'm Jack Lacey Hatton and I'm joined by the excellent team this week of Hannah Pinnock and Beth Lindop, two of our women's football writers. Uh, we're going to be discussing all the big talking points in the game this week, hurtling as we are towards the, the third international break of the season, uh, not long until Christmas as well. We've also got the Champions League now in full swing, so I feel like it's uh, it's a good time of the season to sort of take stock and yeah, talk about um, some of the big issues in the game. Big week for the uh, WSL relegation battle this week, which we're going to be talking about and also discussing two crucial Nations League games for England later this week against Netherlands and Scotland. Um, but yeah, I'll, let's crack on with last weekend and the, uh, another big one in the WSL. Um, perhaps uh, a, a week, dare I say, where the relegation battle was, was blown wide open. Hannah, I know you wanted to talk about this. Aston Villa um, getting su- a, a surprise result, really. Um, from, from Everton going to Villa Park and, and pulling out a superb win at, at Aston Villa that sort of ended their their mini revival. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll come to you first. What, what did you make of, of that result and and how, how do you sort of oversee that that bottom half of the table now? Um, incredibly frustrating for one. Obviously, like you alluded to there, that the run that Villa had been on, um, if they were to have got the win there against Everton, then then that would have, I guess, propelled them much higher in the table and almost would have not made right for all, all the struggles at the start of the season. But, you know, I think that could have been swiftly forgotten about and, it, you know, maybe the the belief that, that Villa are back. But um, unfortunately, that wasn't the case. You know, they weren't at the races and um, it was a disappointing defeat in the end. And, you know, while they're no longer... Well, they're no longer at the bottom of the table. Um, you know, they're only a couple of points from, you know, the the teams below them now who very quickly could turn things around themselves. So I don't want to say Villa are sort of in a relegation battle because I do think they have, you know, an, an enough to just about avoid that, but but they are sort of toying with it a little bit too closely at the moment, too close for comfort and um, the performance, if anything, was probably what's most frustrating from a Villa perspective because, you know, for it to be an on-goal and a penalty that costs them is, is, you know, from Everton's perspective, huge fight to, you know, for it to go back to 1-1 and, and for them to push on and, and eventually get the winner. But at the same time, it wasn't through the sheer quality of Everton's attacking play that those goals happened. Obviously, it was an on-goal from Anna Patton and then the penalty. So, in a sense, Villa have been the masters of, of their own downfall at times and um, not quite in trouble yet, but it's it's a game that they should have been winning. And, and that's what Villa did so well last season was beating the teams in and around them and even getting results against the top teams as well. Whereas now the only teams that they've been able to beat this season are the two teams below them. Um, and against everyone else, they've they've struggled a little bit too much. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. And I, I think it's 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 not too early to say that that anyone's involved in this, this battle that we're going to be talking about. I mean, just looking at the table, there's only four points separating the, the bottom six teams, the entire bottom half, just just four points separating them all. So things that things are very tight down there. Um 
And yeah, but a, a big, big win for Everton. Uh, Natalie Bjorn's penalty, the difference in the end at, at Villa Park. And yeah, Beth, just give us sort of the, the Merseyside perspective. But how how much of a boost is that for, for Brian Sorensen, who I wouldn't say it was under pressure, but we've talked in, in previous episodes about the fact that, yeah, they, they just really needed a result, didn't they? They did, yeah. It was an absolutely huge, huge win for, for Everton, particularly in the context of, obviously, it was the last game before the international break. And I think with Villa having struggled this season as well and, and having been sort of in, in a similar spot to, to Everton, I think, you know, Villa would have, have added a bit more breathing room um, away from the bottom of the table. It would have potentially got quite difficult for, for Everton. Um, so, yeah, huge, huge win. Um, and I think I didn't actually watch the game live because I was travelling um, travelling back from the, the Liverpool game at Prenton Park. But I, when I saw that, that Villa had managed to equalise so quickly. Um, I did fear for Everton and fear that they, they wouldn't go on and, and win the game. But the fact that they managed to, to sort of weather that storm and fight back and obviously get the win thanks to, to Natalie Bjorn's penalty was was huge. So, um, yeah, and it was it was interesting actually before the game, Brian Sorensen had said that if they were to win that, that game at Villa, that they'd only be one point worse off than at the same stage last season. Um, and obviously they went on to do that. So I think that's hugely encouraging because I think, you know, largely we all probably reflect on Everton's season last season and think that it was quite a positive one. So for the, you know, for them to be in a, you know, only a point off that going into the last international break of the year is really encouraging. And, and hopefully now that's a performance that they can build on for the rest of the season. Yeah, Everton are always that team in, in the WSL that whenever they need to dig out a win, whenever they really need one to, to avoid a crisis, they always seem to to find a way, I think. And yeah, it's, football's a, a game of perception, isn't it? That's such an interesting uh, stat that they're only slightly worse off than they were at this stage last season. Um, Hannah, just coming back briefly to to Villa, because obviously I know we've they're, they're sort of the, the, the surprise in terms of the teams that are down there at the moment. Do you think it's going to be a case of of needing further reinforcements? Like we saw them dip into the tra- January transfer market last year. Is something going to be needed again this year? Do you think? I mean, what 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 areas of the team do you think Cal Ward needs to improve? Absolutely, I think before you could have looked at Villa's summer transfer business and said they're they're absolutely fine, but I think now they probably almost need that that reinforcement to inspire a much better second half of the season. Um, defensively, it's a weird one because it's pretty much the same back four as, as what it was last year. The, the only change in defence was obviously the goalkeeper, which in my opinion, you know, no disrespect to Hannah Hampton, but I think Daphne Van Domsler is another level to that. And that in a sense was probably a bit of an upgrade. So in any in that respect, they've improved their defence from last year, but somehow they look a lot more frail in that respect. And I think it's only Bristol City that have conceded more than Aston Villa in the first eight games of the season. So, you know, that's a, a statistic that, you know, Carla Ward won't want to see. So um, in a sense, I, I do think defensively, if they can bring in a, a top quality defender, if anything, I think to add a little bit of competition, and maybe that's part of the problem is that because it is the same defence and you can pretty much name that back four before they even before the lineup even comes out, that maybe a little bit of competition and, and fight for places might sort of raise the level um, a bit more. Um, so absolutely in, in defence, I think. In January, it was kind of the midfield area last season where Carla Ward looked to strength and obviously bringing in Lucy Staniforth and, and Jordan Nobbs and, and they proved 
be fantastic business. So if they can do something similar in January and sort of bolster that back line, then, you know, I, th- I think that would be a huge bonus. And, you know, attacking wise, even though it's not quite clicking for them at the moment and they've become a little bit predictable in that respect, I think that's fixable tactically as opposed to having to bring people in to change that. Whereas I think defensively, um, is probably the the weakness in the squad that they you know can probably fix in the transfer market. I would say. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Actually, I think it'll be interesting. I'd I'd be surprised if 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 Carla didn't go into the market um, based on the performances so far. What well, one quick theory I did want to to bring to both of you because you could tell me if I'm going down the the wrong road or or, or if I'm onto something. Uh, it might well be the the latter, but I I did sort of look, looking at the, the the bottom half of the table from from the previous few years obviously Reading getting relegated last year when I don't think they were a shambles by any stretch of the imagination but they obviously had difficulties off the field the, the investment they could give to the women's team similar similar story really at Birmingham City the year before who went down with quite a low points total could, could this be a season where you might need a, a higher points total this this might be sort of the I suppose the most the, the most interesting story of of the season potentially, uh, if, if like I say, all six teams stay down there that that are in the bottom half at the moment, um, or, or do you see do you see any any of these teams pulling away and and maybe one will get left isolated? Beth, I'll, I'll come to you first on that. Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a really good point, and I think you know a lot of when you're speaking to WSL players at the moment, a lot of them tend to say that it's the toughest league in the world and it's so competitive and anyone can beat anyone. And I think sometimes that can seem like a bit of a throwaway comment, but I think we've seen this season, you know, that absolutely that's that can prove true. I mean, you've only got to look at Manchester City, obviously beat Tottenham 7-0, Tottenham side that have been playing incredibly well as well this season. Um, and only a couple of weeks ago, they were losing to, to Brighton and Hove Albion, who are right down near the bottom of the table. So, um the, the league, I think, certainly in terms of quality, has, has got much closer, and even the teams at the bottom of the league have, have invested. Um, so I think that gap is closing, and I think as a result of that, we are maybe going to need. Whereas in previous years, sort of 12, 13, 14 points has been enough to, to keep teams up. I think maybe this year it might be more 16, 17, 18, um, which I think overall for the league is is really positive because it just means the quality is improving, and it, it just makes every game that more exciting for for the neutral. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you, Hannah. Any any thoughts on on anyone who might be able to to pull themselves clear out of that that bottom cluster? I'm not sure if anyone will be able to confidently and, and clearly sort of get out of that. I think if anything, it's the one season at the moment where I think even the teams that you might look at in the table now that you think are oh, they're safe, I think they could quite realistically be dragged into it. I think that's kind of how tight it is. Not to say that I want Leicester anywhere near a relegation battle, but, you know, if if they can't sort of pick up that form that they had at the start of the season, like, you know, by sort of February, March time, they could quite easily find themselves back in, in a bit of a scrap. So I think that would be the concern is that, you know, sort of even the mid table teams that in, in, Years gone by, you might look at this point in the season and be like, "Yeah, they're absolutely fine." I don't think that'll be the case this this year. I think it'll be much closer that, you know, in terms of the bottom end of the table up to about the middle, that anyone really could get 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 dragged into it after a run of poor results. So that would be my concern and, and thoughts at the moment. But I think you're absolutely right in terms of it. It could be a team that, you know, you wouldn't ever expect to be anywhere near a relegation battle that that could end up going down this year. Um, which make it certainly quite interesting. 
Yeah, definitely. There's, there should be, I think, lots to play for for most teams going into the final month or so of the season this year. Hopefully, anyway, like, like we say, that will make it a, a better league. Before I move on, we should actually also just briefly touch on on Liverpool's big win at Brighton. Because like you say, you were there, Beth, at, at Prenton Park. I, I mean, I spoke to Mel Phillips earlier today and she said that, you know, did... Her team didn't particularly do much wrong, really. Tactically, they they were they were in the game as a, a tight game, but one where finishing just completely made all the difference. Liverpool's finishing at the moment seems to be uh, yeah capable of blowing teams away in, in that situation. So so yeah, good a good result for them. And and what did you make of it? Yeah, I'd say it was probably the the best performance, certainly the most complete performance of the season. Um, and I'd, I'd agree with Mel Phillips, really. I think actually Brighton started really, really well um, and probably looked like the side more likely to, to go on and, and get that first goal. Um, Tegan Micah, who was making just her first WSL start for the club, um, made a couple of really good saves. Uh, Gemma Bonner, who was it was a really special afternoon for her because ahead of kickoff, she was presented with a, a shirt to commemorate her becoming the club's all-time uh a record appearance holder in, in the WSL era by Ian Callahan, who um, made you know more than 800 appearances for, for the men's team. So a really special moment for her and she clears one off the line in the first half. And that was maybe the turning point. I think up until that point, Brighton had been playing very well. And then it just opened the door for, for Liverpool then to go on and, and be clinical and be ruthless. And I think that was one thing that Matt Beard lamented a lot last season is, is that they didn't finish the chances. And you know, they've got a lot better at that this season. And on Sunday, they were just absolutely ruthless and so many positives to take as well. I mean, Shanice van der Sanden gets a goal. Um, she's had a, a injury, injury problem since she came back to Liverpool last season and um, had a really special week. She became a mum for the first time on Tuesday when a, a partner gave birth to, to a little girl. So she did the sort of the, the Bebeto celebration uh, after after scoring the goal, which was really special. And then... Um, Leanne Kiernan comes off the bench to set one up for Sophie Roman Hogg. So I think, you know, the squad, the Liverpool squad looks healthier than it has done in a long time. And, and that bodes really, really well for, for Matt Beard's side, I think. Yeah, definitely. A bit big, big run of games for them coming up as well. That's the only, the only, not, not concern. I think it's exciting for Liverpool fans, but it's quite a, a remarkable run of fixtures, really. The the next few games after that, they, they play uh, Everton, uh, Bristol City, Everton in the Conti Cup, Manchester United away. That, that's all before the uh, Christmas break. And then they return with games against Manchester City and, and Arsenal. So I suppose if they're still only a point or two off the top three at that stage. I mean, Beth, what do you reckon? What are the chances of that happening? Yeah, cheeky little title charge maybe, or certainly a European charge. Um, no, I think that's probably a bridge too far for Liverpool this season, realistically. I think the, the quality and the experience that the likes of Manchester City and Arsenal and Chelsea have, I think will ultimately, over the course of 22 games, prove too much for them. But I think... I think the thing is, whereas a lot of clubs like Aston Villa last season, for example, looked really promising, Everton the same, and you thought, well, they looked poised to be able to challenge that top four. But you think financially, I just don't think those clubs can necessarily compete in the long run. And I think that's obviously one thing that Liverpool do have in their favour. Obviously, it's a massive club in terms of the men's side of things. Um, they've shown over the summer, moving to Melwood, bringing in some good players, that they're prepared to financially back the women's team. And I think they could continue doing that. So I think probably in the next couple of seasons, it, it might become more realistic for them to be challenging for Europe. But yeah, I think this season it might be a little bit of a step too far. But who knows? I'll keep my fingers crossed. You never know. Strange things have happened in this game. And yeah, it'd be nice to get a few more smiles out of Matt Beard before the end of the, the season if that, that run of form continues. Um, just quickly, I want to mention as well, Manchester City seemingly back on form now. A big couple of weeks for them. 
coming back coming from behind in the in the derby obviously at Old Trafford uh, the previous week and then this Sunday 7-0 win over Tottenham which I mean you know plenty of us would have, would have gone into that game thinking it's going to be a, a close contest Spurs haven't conceded many this season and they've been sort of competitive in every game they're, they're unbeaten actually since the opening day against against Chelsea going into that one um, but then, yeah, Lauren Hemp decided that she was going to be playing on a, a different level to everyone else. Uh, from from what I saw of this one, um, Hannah, just just ha, ha, what what do you sort of make of where City are at at the moment and how they've 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 recovered the last few weeks? Because obviously, that after that home defeat against Brighton, I think a lot of people were were ruling them out of the title race early on. But but yeah, where, where do you reckon to, to where they're at now? Yeah, I think City are probably a team that a lot of people would have written off maybe before a ball was even kicked, obviously given that they they were the ones to miss out on European football last year. They didn't recruit massively over the summer, you know, at a time where a lot of people might have actually been calling for a bit of change in the club, whether that be the manager or personnel, but they stuck with it and opted for the, the consistency and just adding that sort of touch of quality in, in Jill Ward and, and what a signing she's turned out to be for them. I, I think... Personally, I've been really impressed with City this season. Even, even, you know, given the the defeats that they've had, I still think they've shown a lot of grit and resilience. Obviously, you think back to that Chelsea game and what it took Chelsea to to get a result against them. And I think in the last couple of weeks, especially with the the Manchester derby win, and obviously now a huge thumping of a very a very good Tottenham team, they've kind of subtly been dropping these reminders that hey, we're here and we're not going anywhere. And um, you know, I, I think if anything, the title race will be just as exciting as as the relegation fight this year in terms of how tight it will be. I think, you know, you look at Arsenal as well. Even after a pretty poor start to the season by their standards, they're they're right up there, and, and obviously they're second in the table at the moment. So, um, you know, I, I do think City are going absolutely nowhere, and and they are for me probably one of the strongest teams in this league. So, um, I've been really impressed with them and you know, um, what they're doing at the moment. And yeah, I mean, Jill Rod and, and Lauren Hemp especially are two absolutely outstanding players. And and for me, Jill Rod might already be proven to be one of the the, the signings of, of the summer, really. I mean, yeah, you, you almost took the words out of my mouth. I feel like if you're judging a, a signing of the season so far, it's, it's hard, isn't it? Not to, not to select Jill Rod based on current form. Uh, certainly looks that way for for Manchester City. I mean, just just quickly as well before we we talk about England, it was almost a a bit of a throwback. I felt this this weekend with the traditional big three of of Chelsea, Arsenal, and Manchester City all getting relatively comfortable wins. Uh, although Leicester, I think, put up a a decent showing at, at Kings Meadow um, before eventually going down. Um, so yeah, what what sort of state do we think that the, the competitive, I suppose, the competitive levels of the the WSL are at at the moment um, in terms of when when those top sides take on perhaps more of the the teams you expect to be mid table and and lower half. Um, Hannah, what what did you sort of make of of those results? And and do you think we? I mean, it, I, I suppose it's it's hard for us to judge. We're we're at games so often, but for me, I feel like I've seen close more close games this season than I have blowouts. Um, so yeah, but maybe it's a different experience for you. You know, I, I still think it is following that trajectory of, of the gap closing bit by bit. Um, it's it's still some way off. I, I think those teams at the top are just, you know, the, the levels that they've hit so consistently over the years is is difficult to 
to sort of get close to that. Obviously, Villa were the, the team that came closest last season. And but the result, you know, they, they have a very good record against, you know, Manchester City, especially obviously a, a draw away from home in the league, a win at home in the league, and obviously knock them out of the, the FA Cup as well. So, you know, in, in that respect, and even in the Conti Cup as well, obviously we saw Liverpool the other week getting, you know, a, a, not Liverpool, was it Le- Leicester? Sorry, ignore me. Um in, in the Conti Cup as well. So the gap is closing. Um, but I think the the issue that a lot of teams below them have at the moment is is finding that consistency to do it year on year. We so often see teams have sort of one good season where they're sort of there or thereabouts, not quite there, but they you know, we mentioned there Liverpool, not the Everton and, and Villa being the teams last season looking most likely to to push on and, and challenge them, yet they fall into the wayside a little bit this year and now sort of Liverpool, Tottenham and, and Leicester to an extent are up there this year, but you know, is whether or not they can build on what they're doing or, you know, sort of take those steps forward and then almost like they take a few steps back. So I think that's where the issue is, is teams are getting there, but they're not quite having enough to to match it. And I think with time that gap is closing and and you are seeing more sort of shock results, you know, Leicester getting a draw away at Man United, for example going 2-0 up against Arsenal and, and things like that. And, you know, you, you are seeing it, but it's, you know, you just think about the quality of the top four at the moment and, um, you know, at least in the not-so-distant future, it's, it's probably going to very much stay that way. Yeah, still a couple of interesting rounds to come in the WSL, like I say, before that that Christmas break. Um, but before that, obviously this weekend, we've got the small matter of a, a decisive international break. England basically need to win both of their games. Firstly, at home to the Netherlands on Friday night at Wembley. Uh, and then a few days later, making the, the trip over the border to face the old enemy, Scotland at Hampden Park uh, and a, different, a bit of a blow for, for Serena Wiegmann before a ball's even been kicked with the news that, that Captain Millie Bright won't be part of this squad. Obviously, she's missed, I think, the last three Chelsea games um, with a, with an injury. So, yeah, disappointment there. Uh, Millie Turner's been been called up in her place. But, Beth, I'll, I'll come to you first on this. How sort of, how, how much of, yeah, how, how difficult will it be for, for England to, to marshal a defence without Millie Bright? Yeah, incredibly difficult. I mean, they've already had to adapt um, that that back line quite a lot in, in the last few months, obviously with, with Leah Williamson having missed the World Cup through injury and Rachel Daly sort of alternating between being a left back and a forward. And um, this has obviously thrown another spanner in the works for, for Serena Beekman and hugely frustrating at a time when England need to win both of these games. Um, you know, it's not like a going to be a, a dead rubber game or like we've seen in, in previous Euro qualifiers where they're up against opposition that they can sort of sweep aside 8-0, 10-0. It's going to be two really difficult games against opponents that have caused a lot of problems for, for England this season. So um, yeah, a huge blow. I think Millie Turner is an excellent player, but obviously someone that hasn't been capped uh, at, at senior level on, on the international stage. So I think that's always a big transition for players when they go from, from playing domestically to to playing for the countries and um, whether Serena throws her in or whether she just opts to keep her as an option on the bench I'm not sure um, but yeah a huge blow um, and um, England sorry always already had a lot to do ahead of ahead of this next couple of games and, and now it's the task has got even more difficult yeah and I think that the, the interesting side of it is on 
on form from from this year, you probably wouldn't be too worried about Jess Carter and, and Alex Greenwood as a as a centre back partnership. But my only two concerns with that are one, well, is is a back four going to suit against the Dutch? Possibly. I mean, it, it we seem to have reverted to it or, or did in the last international break, Serena chain to a back four again um but then also if you just play those two it's like is there enough height in that partnership obviously there's there's other options as well like you say we've got we've got millie turner coming back in after a, a three-year absence from from the senior squad uh lottie Wubamoy and may Letissier as well although obviously as, as we've talked about before she's often considered more of a fullback for for england um so yeah it's going to be it's it's a difficult selection headache i think for, for serena um hannah do you think we've we've got enough Strength, enough depth in the center of defense to to deal with these two games numbers wise yeah when you when you think about you know the fact that you still got Esme Morgan Mayer and and Lotta sort of um in and around it as well but I, I think England's issue particularly over the you know sort of the last year where going into a World Cup and now sort of Nations League games where every game counts and you can't afford any sort of slip-ups we've not really had the opportunity to rotate and you know the issue even though players like Lotta and Mayer and, and Esme they're all playing at a very high level for their clubs but in terms of senior caps they've not really got a lot sort of between them and, and experience on the international stage so almost feels like you can't throw them in so you know maybe in in a sense if if England don't make it sort of through this Nations League group and, and to the Olympics ne- ne- next year maybe 2024 might provide a bit more of an opportunity for Serena to sort of start not changing the guard but sort of bedding in those players like Esme and Mayer a little bit more so when you you know you're looking ahead to sort of the Euros and the next World Cup that sort of that next generation of of central defenders are are there and ready because we do have some fantastic options there but I think our issue is we've become so reliant on such a small number of players that when you take for example, two of them out of that equation in Leah Williamson and Millie Bright, you sort of, it feels like you've not got that depth when realistically, you know, you, you have, but they're not players that are sort of tried and tested in, in the team and, and you sort of know exactly what you're going to get from them. It it always feels like a little bit of a risk. I do think as well, um, I think that's a really good point that Hannah's made in the sense that you've got to throw these young players in and test them at international level, if you know, to see what they're capable of. But equally, I think, when you look at that back line, there's not an awful lot of experience there without Millie Bright and, and Lee Williamson. Um, obviously, Lucy Bronze is, is a veteran and can help sort of guide the back line, I guess, a little bit. But I think sort of, this is maybe my Liverpool bias coming through, but having watched a lot of, of Gemma Bonner this season, I think she's just been absolutely phenomenal. She's scarcely put a foot wrong. Um, and then you look at the likes of Steph Orton, who again, you know, over the past season has, has played fairly well for, for Manchester City and I suppose sort of burnt her bridges, didn't she, when she came out and, and sort of publicly, I guess, not criticised Serena, but criticised the way that that her, her own England career had been handled. Um, and I think England are maybe missing a player like that in the squad at this moment in time, someone who's, you know, been there and, and done that at, at, you know, senior level. Um, and you know can can maybe just bring a little bit of composure and a little bit of experience into the squad, and I think that'll be interesting to see, you know, whether in, in the next couple of camps Serena opts to call up maybe a more senior player. I mean, we've seen a recall a number of players, um, you know, Laura Coombs, for example, got got called back up into the squad after sort of seven years out, was it? So I think that's something that I think Serena will probably be considering as well. Yeah, and no, I, I think in in it, credit to her as well, she never seems to shut the door 
on any anyone, no matter of how long they've been off the international scene. But I'm so glad that you mentioned Gemma Bonner there, Beth, because I, when you said, mentioned her earlier in the show, I was nearly going to say she she if you if you had to pick a WSL eleven of the, the season so far, she she'd be probably the first name on my team sheet or very close. I think she in the games I've seen for for Liverpool, she's been outstanding. And th- then again, that didn't help my Letitia last season when I thought she was probably the best English centre half and and still hasn't really featured there yet. Um, Although maybe we'll do this week, we'll have to have to wait and see. Just quickly as well, because that's not the only selection headache. But for the first time in over a year, Beth Mead's back uh, available for the Lionesses. It, it creates a really interesting conundrum in terms of the the wide forwards England have now got. You've got Beth Mead coming back, uh, not not just back into fitness, but back into form as well. Scored twice for Arsenal at the weekend in their win over West Ham. You've got Lauren James, who having watched the Chelsea's. Last, last few games, she's pretty much untouchable at the moment, the way she's playing. And then you've got Chloe Kelly and Lauren Hemp, not exactly in, in bad form either. And in, in Lauren Hemp's case, I think probably one of England's players of the year so far. So I, I almost don't know where to start with how you, you fit those four onto the same into the same team. Um, Hannah, how, how do you see that one playing out? I'm actually quite excited for this international break, to be honest, because it's obviously the first time where we've got both Fran and Beth back in the squad and obviously they're such important big players at the Euros and, and were so integral to, to that Euros win. So to have them both back and, and fit I think is is huge. And um, you know, I'm I don't think Serena will, but I would be so tempted to just just thrust Beth Mead back into the starting lineup, at, at least for the Netherlands game where you sort of England have to win by like at least two goals and you know it can't just be a, a straight pass with a point or you know the one goal win they, they absolutely need to at least try and sweep the Netherlands aside as best as they can and you know I think it helps as like you mentioned that the best coming back into form and um, it's definitely the the right international break to, to bring her back into they haven't rushed her back in any means and I just think with the quality that she brings and sort of with the Arsenal partnership because it will probably be Alessia that, that starts up front if we're being honest so I, I would want to see Beth Mead sort of shove straight back in with sort of Lauren James on the other side because you mentioned there she's untouchable. She is absolutely outstanding at the moment and probably playing some of the best football of her career. So I would probably go with those two and then at least, which is, feels harsh on both Lauren Hemp and Chloe Kelly because they're in good form as well. But at least then you've sort of got those two to come on and potentially change the game if you need it. And, and maybe that might be where in the game against Scotland, you might look to use a Lauren Hemp and a Chloe Kelly in that game as as opposed to the Netherlands one. Yeah, I, I actually agree with you. And I think the partly as well, the fact that Lauren James hasn't always, even though you'd think she, of her as someone who could impact a game off a bench, I think so far her best performances at international level have been when she started a game. Beth Mead is coming back, but... She's probably you almost when you're coming back from an injury after that long long an absence, you, you want sort of to be playing 60, 70 minutes and then being withdrawn rather than just getting the cameos. And we, we've seen her get more minutes recently at Arsenal. Um, Beth, how, how do you see this one playing out? Yeah, I agree. And I, I think almost the, the Netherlands game's possibly the, the perfect game to, to put Beth in from the start. I think when you think it's going to be a packed out Wembley, um, you know, after the, the couple of weeks that she's had, you know, getting back into the Arsenal starting 11, scoring a first goal after injury. Um, and, and getting a, a England call up, it's been a you know it feels like the momentum's really on her side at this moment in time. And can just imagine 
how sort of raring to go she will be if she's put in that starting lineup on Friday night. So yeah, I'd be tempted to to put Beth in from the start against the Netherlands, um, and then maybe you know give her a little bit of a rest against Scotland and bring her on if necessary. But I think that's a really good point that Hannah makes about the the Arsenal connection because I do imagine that Alessia Russo will probably start up front, and they seem to have been developing a nice little relationship the past few weeks. So. Um, so yeah, I, I'm I'm very much sort of pro put Beth in from the start and see how she goes. Yeah, and Alessia Russo, of course, yet uh, hasn't scored since the World Cup semi-final for England. So yeah, it should be a good one on Friday night. I'm looking forward to being there at Wembley. I don't I don't want to tempt fate and put a downer on it, but Beth, I think you're going to be at Wembley as well. Is that is that right? And the last time we did an England game together was the defeat against Australia that ended Serena Beekman's unbeaten start. Well, there's, well, there's Hannah on the other hand is unbeaten in in England games this year, so. I guess it just means that if if I if we go and, and, and England lose, it is all my fault and I'm not allowed to go to another England game then. So, um, yeah, fingers crossed we can break that jinx on Friday. I can't carry on there. Carry on the momentum, but it's all in your hands, Beth. <laughs> Hopefully, Beth's, yeah, Beth's England jinx is broken and uh, the Lionesses manage to get through this, this Nations League group. It's going to be uh, two interesting games coming up. That's it this week for the Women's Football Digest, uh, but we'll be back soon. Thanks for listening.